redeems even those deepest and darkest moments of our life for his greatness and his glory. And Linda, your life is a real testimony of that. And it's a great encouragement for me and for, for all of us I know to be able to say, man, God can bring us um, from the pit of despair into the eternal hope of glory, which is unbelievable. So thank you for being bold enough to share, share your story with us. Um, this week, we're actually into our second week of our four-week series called The Advent Conspiracy. I won't go into the whole thing. You heard me talk a lot about it. You've heard a lot about it over the weeks. The idea really is just, what if we rethought Christmas? What if we took it from its consumer mentality and, and, and really went back to the roots of what it meant to worship God and to give our lives? And that's really what we're in the middle of. And so I had this sort of Christmas message thing all planned out. Because this is really my week to talk about Christmas. I mean, last week I was out of town. This next week I'm going to be here, but we've got a really great friend coming in who's a missionary in Guatemala, and he and I are going to be doing some stuff together up here, which will be very cool. You don't want to miss him talk about what God is doing in Guatemala. And then the week after, we're going to be doing this whole Christmas thing. And by the 20th, it's, it's almost too late to preach Christmas. It's kind of like, you know, we've, we're already there, we're barely breathing. And, and so this is really the Christmas week, and I had this whole little Christmas thing put together. But then I was standing in line at Starbucks yesterday, and I was buying coffee, and I overheard these two women talking. And, and one of them, as I was eavesdropping, very well, by the way, one of them whispered or said to the other one, she said, I, it's so cold, I love it, I love it when it gets cold, because it makes it finally feel like Christmas. Don't you love this time of year? And the other woman that was sitting there said, you know, she took a deep breath, and she said, you know, I don't, I'm already stressed out. I'm just hoping to survive this one. I'll be glad when it's all over. And I don't, I don't, I'm sure that was a loaded response. There's probably all kinds of other things going on, but, but it captivated me. Because the pastor and me wanted to go up and, and sit down and, and explain to them about the baby Jesus in the manger. You know, and tell them the story and what Christmas is all about. And, and, but I just couldn't get myself to walk over there. Normally that's like front door city for me, but I just I couldn't do it for some reason. And so I thought this morning what I'd do is I'd toss out that Christmas, little pretty Christmas message I was going to preach and, and just share some short truths about Christmas. Because the things that I wanted to share with those sweet women, I want to share with you. Because they're really captivating truths that are perspective changers on our life. If we were to really pay attention to what Scripture says about the birth of Jesus... It really does, much like the gospel, change everything. And so I thought this morning what we do is we just talk a few Christmas truths. Maybe the things that you can file away as you're walking through the aisles of Target or, or the mall and file away and at some point in time just remember and say, you know what, that's right, that's true, I need to remember that. And maybe they'll just sort of serve as, as those great reminders. We're going to be glancing in the book of Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, you can use it. Um, if you don't have one, we've got tons. In fact, we have them on these little stands. It's because we're going to be in the Word every week. We encourage you to bring your own. Church is a place that you can take your Bible. We will study it, open it, preach it unashamed. So grab one. If you don't own a Bible, keep one of ours. They're for you. All right, that's why we have them. Um, if you know someone that needs one, give it to them for Christmas. So... Um, we'd love for you to have them. If not, bring your own. Um, we're going to be in each week. Book of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to look a glance again at the Christmas story as we explore some of these truths together. So let's take a second. Let's just pray. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to, to be in your presence today. And we're thankful, so thankful for Linda's testimony and how it speaks to our hearts, God, that you're a redemptive God. That we're never beyond your reach. That, God, you, you step into our lives and invite us into a relationship with you. 
God, we pray this morning that we might be encouraged by her testimony and reminded that you are a God who doesn't forget us, but has a deep love for us. God, challenge us this morning as we glance through your text, as we dive into your story about what it really means to have you step into humanity and change the world. Take just a second and and just ask God to speak to your heart this morning. Just right where you sit, just say, God, my heart, just speak to me this morning. And pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Just pray that, that God would move in their life. Father God, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this place. Remind us of these simple truths this morning as, as a simplistic way to look back and say, this really is what, what Christmas, what the birth of your son is about. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we dive into those couple of statistics, some of which you've heard, but I think are fascinating and worth repeating about kind of Christmas-ish time of year, and that's, as I mentioned earlier, the American culture, Americans will spend between 450 and 460 billion dollars, billion with a B, billion dollars this year on Christmas. Eight billion dollars of that will be on decorations, lights, garland, things. The estimated amount it would cost to solve the world's water crisis, to dig dig deep water wells in these impoverished countries, is $10 billion total. The average American family will spend between $800 and $1,000 this year on Christmas. And 80% of those families will put it all on credit at the average of 18.99% interest. It will take two and a half years to pay off Christmas this year. The average American child will receive 45 toys at Christmas this year. And 8 out of 10 dog owners will buy Christmas presents for their dogs at an average of $40 per dog. Yeah, statistics, you know, what are they? I think they just simply show, shed some light on the fact that we can't get away that Christmas is consumer driven. Everything that we do and, and, and are bombarded with is a consumer driven kind of idea. Spend, 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 spend. I think there's some Christmas truths that if we paid attention to them out of this text, Luke chapter 2, they really would be kind of perspective changers. But I thought this morning, let's just glance at the story together again, because I just think it's it's just pretty awesome. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is the story of the birth of Jesus as Luke recounts it. In those days, Caesar Augustus Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea and to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I mean, it's a timeless story, right? I mean, we talk about it in our own family, and Cooper always reminds us that Jesus was not wrapped in clothes. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Whatever that is. <laughs> he doesn't know, but they're swaddling clothes, Dad. Okay, okay, good, good reminder. But it's a timeless story. But I think a part of our problem is that it's become a story. It's become something that we simply recall. A gentle reminder that this time of year is really not about Starbucks red cups and things of purchasing nature, but that it's really about something else. And that on Christmas Eve or the Sunday before Christmas, we get together and we sing all the carols and reminded of the times in our own life that were meaningful at Christmas. And hopefully we get together with friends and family. And the story serves as a reminder. But the reality is, is that it's so much more. And I want to look at these two sweet women at Starbucks and explain that. And so you get to hear it. Three truths, three quick truths, and I'm going to keep this short because I I know we're we're running out of time. But the first one is simply this, that really Christmas is about presence. Not presence, E-N-T-S, but presence, E-N-C-E. Christmas is about the incarnation. You know what the word incarnation really is just from the Latin, which means in the flesh. It's a fancy Christian word that means that God, in all of his eternal nature, became flesh. In the form of a tiny baby. That heaven broke into humanity. That the incarnation is the inbreaking of God into our very world. In the form of Jesus. Christmas is about the fact that God broke into our lives in such a radical way that the book of John calls it light piercing the darkness. That the incarnation is the inbreaking of God. See, the reason this is important is because without the incarnation, there is no cross. Without the inbreaking of heaven into our world, we don't go to Easter. Without Jesus in the flesh walking this earth, laying his hands on people and dying for our sins, we have no hope, no redemption, no life. See, the incarnation changes everything. It means that God had a redemptive plan that began with an infant wrapped in a, in a bunch of clothes in a feeding trough for animals in a barn in the middle of nowhere. That holy, majestic God that created the stars and the heavens and the earth and the trees and as Psalm 139 said, knit you together, comes into our presence in the inbreaking of a tiny baby in a barn. See, Christmas is about God's presence. It's about God with us. Book of Matthew, he tells us that 
that the baby Jesus will be named Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel just means God with us. See, Christmas is about God's presence. It's about the fact that God loved his creation enough to break into humanity, to walk with us, to live for us, to die for us, and to give us life. It's not a story of sweet, kind of soft entry into the world. It is a radical collision between heaven and earth. Light and dark. Life and death. And it's a magnificent picture. This Christmas, I want you to keep in your mind that that really it's about God's presence. God with us. That as Linda mentioned in her testimony, even in those darkest hours, God is with us. His promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And the incarnation is the beginning of God's inbreaking into our world. So in the middle of all that Christmas stuff, we have God's presence. That's what it's all about. The second Christmas truth that I find remarkable is that Christmas is really about worship. And that shouldn't come as any surprise. We talked about it last week. But, but really worship in the form of majesty. I mean, imagine the scene coming out of Luke chapter, chapter 2. There's a bunch of shepherds sitting around a field at night. There's no lights. I mean, the, the lights from the city were not like lights that we have. There's no street lamps. It's just shepherds in the middle of a dark field. When in the middle of the night, an angel appeared and says, hey, don't be afraid. But something miraculous and amazing has happened tonight in the town of David. A Savior has been born. And it says that as the angel's there, he's accompanied by a host of heavenly beings. And they begin to sing and praise God. So here's a bunch of lowly shepherds, a bunch of sheep herders sitting around when the concert of concerts breaks out. In the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. It's not really fanfare for a king. No trumpets, no parades. A couple of shepherds guarding their sheep. And perhaps the greatest concert ever performed in the middle of the night sky. See, by the biblical definition of Christmas, it begins and ends with worship. God's presence always does. Every time we see someone in Scripture have an encounter with Jesus, they are changed dramatically. And in almost every occasion, almost, because a few people walked away really upset, it ends in worship. Falling on their face before God. So what did the shepherds do? They hurried into town, which I'd love to unpack what that word meant, but I bet it was a full sprint in robes and sticks, racing into town to find this baby wrapped just as the angel had said. They told everybody. And it says that as they went back out to their fields, they were worshiping and praising God for what they had seen and heard. I don't know what your Christmas is like, but I wonder if it's about worship. Not Christmas Eve when we're all gathered together, that one moment. But what about all 25 days of December? Are they really about worship? Or is it about panic and stress and preparation? Is it about wondering who's coming over or who's not? Or if we're going to have enough money to make it happen this year? What if Christmas began and it ended with worship? Not a culmination of a carol sing on Christmas Eve or on the 20th of December, but every day I'd wake up and say, God, 
This is the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history, that you broke into my life. And I want today to be about worship. So when that lady cuts me off at Penn Square Mall, instead of giving her the old hand worship, I want to worship you, God. I want to worship you. Change my mind. Change my heart, right? Christmas is about worship. The third truth that I want us to sit with today is that Christmas is about giving. Now notice I didn't say that Christmas is about spending. See, when most of us say Christmas is about giving, here's what we think. We think, I'm going to go out, I'm going to find the perfect treasure for that perfect person, and I'm going to purchase it, and then I'm going to give it to them, and they're going to love it, and we're going to hug. That is the giving scenario that I have created in my mind. I'm going to spend way too much time finding that thing, and they're going to love it. Well, that doesn't always happen. If you grew up around my dad, he never, he took back everything my mom got him. Everything. In fact, the big joke in our house was that you could buy dad anything, and no matter what it was, he'd shake the box and go, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. And then he'd take it back. So one year, my mom bought him a $1,200 keyboard. My dad never played an instrument in his life on the sheer principle knowing he's going to take it back. Right? So the giving principle doesn't always work, but that's the one in our mind, right? If I find the treasure, I buy it and I give it to him. The reality when I say that Christmas is about giving is ultimately this. God gave his son. God gave his presence. And Jesus would ultimately give his life on the cross. See, ultimately when I talk about giving, I'm talking about giving his life, giving is sacrificial. Jesus, in all of his humanity, was relational to the core. He spent time with people. He loved people. He touched people. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. Jesus was radically relational in everything that he did. He ate with people that normal people wouldn't eat dinner with. He hung out with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. Jesus gave life. And ultimately, he gave his own life so that you and I might have eternal life and abundant life here in heaven. See, Christmas is about giving. It's about giving life. It's not necessarily about giving treasures. It's about giving life. I was talking to a good friend who told me that at Christmas time, he works an average of between 90 and 100 hours per week almost all of them overtime hours, so that his family can have a nice Christmas. A nice Christmas. What if we worked less and spent those hours as a family? Who defines nice Christmas? Is it making sure I hit the average of 45 toys for my kids? Or that I spend my average $1,000? What if nice Christmas began, God, I want to be about giving life. That we'd spend time with people that we love. And that we'd give gifts that change lives. That we'd find someone who's hungry and we'd feed them. That we'd find someone who's cold and we'd clothe them. That we'd find children that don't have access to clean water and are dying. And we'd give them life. See, Christmas, as I wanted to whisper to these sweet women, is really about God's presence, that He loves us that much. And that we're called to live lives that just reflect that. But Christmas is ultimately about giving life, that God gave His life for you, and we're called to reflect that to the world. So what does your Christmas look like? What's that picture? 
Because it is the small things that make a difference. And as I mentioned earlier, our family is a colossal mess. We're not the shining example of anything. But we have a little Advent Christmas tree, a little wood thing with little doors on it. And each door we shove a little piece of paper that has something that we do together as a family. And every night the kids get real excited and we open it up and, and they pull it out. And last night was we played shoots and ladders together. Have you ever played shoots and ladders with Cooper? It is an adventure. My four-year-old. Everything's a ladder. Everything's a ladder. And when he shoots, he cries. It wasn't exactly happy family memories around a candle. It was Cooper banging his fists on the carpet going, I want to win! But you know what? We're playing games together, you know? The reality is we've got to change our perspective. Christmas is radically different than what we've created it to be. I want to show you a video and have you take a look at this as we close together. And we take a different look and what Christmas can be as we talk about the Advent conspiracy. One of the um, essentials of the incarnation of real missions is that you live among people and you eat what they eat and you drink what they drink. As we gathered around this well, somebody asked me if I was going to take a drink. I, I couldn't put my hands in and take a sip from this well. One of the men standing next to me lost his child um, who became sick and within six hours died because his children are all drinking from this water, a stagnant swamp. I told them, and I, I hope I'm telling them the truth, that I hope to be back here when a well's completed and share a glass of water with them then. As I get home, there are all kinds of things that are pressing for my time. There are bills to be paid. There is work to be done. There are people that have expectations uh, that they want me to meet. 